0: opening because that's yes. always a good sound like yeah. that cornelius song where he makes a beat out of it, I mean, it is a good
1: okay this is the sound of pancake mix opening that's also a good sound it's very refreshing
0: <laughs> okay okay so assuming we this we use this as an intro and not just delete it <laughs> i'm adam
1: i'm levita and this is the cold pizza party podcast
0: and this is our intro not the whole episode we did an episode talking to our friend George, Or can you say it more accurately, yeah, I guess? That's good, okay. George. Yeah. He's Serbian, living in Macedonia. Actually, his mom's Macedonian, too. So we talked to him about Macedonian politics. There's a lot going on lately. Um, since the time we recorded it, there have been developments in what the name of the country should be, because there's a dispute with Greece, because you know, Alexander of Macedon, they want to claim him or whatever so
1: well it's a little more complicated than that anyway it's in
0: the episode but since we recorded they've come to a decision apparently
1: they've decided that macedonia will no longer be macedonia because Mm -hmm. there's a macedonian in greece that the greeks claim is the one true and only macedonia and uh, there's
0: no macedonians in greece yeah. They will not use that
1: term. Yeah. And there's no Macedonian language. And... Okay. Anyway. So, uh, because of the dispute uh, and all the problems that it causes for Macedonians in international politics, they've agreed to change the name to Republic
0: of North Macedonia?
1: Yeah. So, I guess from now on, I may. Republican from North Macedonia (laughs) or something. I don't know.
0: But anyway, we talk about the name dispute here. Yeah. We we didn't know the conclusion at the time of discussion.
1: Yeah, totally. And also, Georgia wanted me to make sure that people understood kind of the general timeline going in. Because we talk about it, but it is a little bit long and dragged out. What general timeline do you mean? So, like, obviously we're not going to... We don't need to know the timeline from the time of the ancients Mm. right but just in terms of like some of the events that have impacted the name issue the important part is that it was under ottoman rule then it was broken up between these bigger countries as always happens yeah then for a while macedonians were able to continue to be macedonian but live in what was formerly part of macedonia now part of greece people like my great-grandparents Who came to Macedonia, I think mainly, I mean, probably because they felt some instability and from the Balkan Wars and stuff like that, but they didn't come under like complete duress. And then after World War II, they like forced a mass exodus of Mm -hmm. Macedonians and made it like Georgia says, like essentially impossible to live your life as a Macedonian in that area. Um, So then, like, there's a lot of times in Macedonia, people will say, oh, they're Aegean Mm Macedonian," which means, like, their family, like, in 1945 or whatever, (laughs) came from that part of Macedonia back Mm. into, like, the main part, the what is Macedonia now, Mm -hmm. um, because they couldn't continue to live there um, in any kind of free capacity. So I think that's, like, the most important part. I mean
0: or were they just brainwashed communists who fled a free capitalist society <laughs> for enslavement under a socialist yeah. system? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Um Yeah, and I mean I guess it's just hard for me not to feel like when we talk about it like that that this forced name change now is like, you know, the end cap of yeah. a long year and it's
0: sad too because it's changed just so that Macedonia can join the neoliberal world order and be the new Greece in the EU and NATO and shit and be the new sweatshop although Georgia talks about that in in more detail and you know he knows more about it than we do
1: yeah for sure but I I mean I still I will never have doubts that it's a very (laughs) bad idea (laughs) but
0: okay uh, but listen for more
1: Yeah. Anyway, we're not historians. You can like look this stuff up, but we just wanted to give you like a general timeline of, you know, kind of how it went so that you have some sense of what we're talking about going in.
2: Yeah,
1: Um, because it is like long and convoluted. And honestly, we could go back thousands of years earlier to start. (laughs) But this is good enough. Um, So yeah. And the other thing that I wanted us to talk about really briefly is obviously the passing of Anthony Bourdain. We both, uh, we're like making lunch right now, so it's perfect. Um, we, uh, yes, Anthony
0: Bourdain would have loved our pancake mix.
1: Famed, famed lover of of boxed pancakes, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, basically like, you know, it, it was... Really sad for both of us to hear that Anthony Bourdain died. I found out because Adam had like started sending me accounts that people were sharing of meeting Anthony Bourdain, and I was like, "Oh, this is a great little story about Anthony Bourdain." And then I was like, <laughs> but "Why are they talking about him in past tense?" And I was like, "No, no, no, no." <laughs> and um, it, yeah, it was it was really really sad. Um, and I think one of the big reasons for us to be sad, obviously, is like great cultural icon, but for us also. We, like, just really got into him right when we started dating. Mm -hmm. Like, we both, we would just, like, watch, was it, was it? No reservations. No reservations, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, like, one of the first presents that Adam got me was a book that was actually two of Anthony Bourdain's books. It was uh, Kitchen Confidential and A Cook's Tour. And, um, yeah, he's just always been, like, a huge part, I feel like, of our relationship and, like, of our... Part of our a rela- big part of our relationship is like you know trying out new food and traveling to new places mm-hmm. and
0: something I probably didn't really think of at all before watching the show. And I Going thought about it places. definitely,
1: but I it it made places I wouldn't have thought of sound like look and seem like places that were definitely worth visiting, like Laos or something like that, where I would just be like, oh, that's just like a sad war torn place I'd never want to go to. It was like no, we like want to go to Laos because yeah. of that Anthony Bourdain episode, you know. Um, and
0: I, oh. I saw a really nice thread too, from a, a guy who was on a Pacific island. He's from some Pacific island, mm-hmm. and uh, ran into Anthony Bourdain at some point at an airport or something, and talked to him about where he was from. And Anthony Bourdain, you know, he was like, "You listened very." interestedly and attentively and then one day he came to the island and the whole island and region was like super excited that he was going to be there and everybody was watching the show and talking about it and he was talking about how when you're from especially like a smaller country like that and somebody you know anthony Bourdain in particular comes yeah. to your little country and as somebody who's interested in people in the world like uh, it meant a lot to like everybody on that island Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. I was talking to you about how even last time we were in Macedonia, my mom was like, "Film some footage. Send it to Anthony Bourdain. Maybe he'll come to Macedonia. Maybe you can show him around." Like, because I think that there was a real sense that he was like genuinely interested in these places that are kind of like forgotten or ignored by the rest of the world, Mm -hmm. like small little countries like Macedonia. That you know. I think a lot of people don't think about, like, the culture that's there, the food that's there, but, like, the people who live there, you know, we're, we're very proud of yeah. the food that we make and the culture that we've created. And, um, and he seemed to, like, see that through, like, the eyes of the people who, like, live there and see, like, a lot of the beauty. And you could tell, like, sometimes people were, like, apologetic about not being able to, like, make a better meal for him or something like that. But he was, like, clearly so excited to, like, experience I don't know, like, the real life of the people there. Yeah. And I think that's, like, probably what made it more than just a travel show is that it really was, or a, just a food show yeah. or just a cook or whatever, was that it was, like, really felt like you were really getting a peek into, like, normal people's lives in the region, not just the tourist attractions or what would be fun for you to do if you visited,
0: yeah. you know? I guess that's a nice legacy to have is, like, this bottom-up, I don't know, internationalism or empathy yeah. or something. Like, I remember you told me that one restaurant, like, kind of a diner run by Macedonians in Columbus. Yeah. And, like, the man versus food guy came. <laughs> yeah. But, like, nobody really cares that he came. They yeah. just care that they, it was cool that we were on TV. Yeah. But nobody's like, oh, Anthony Bourdain's coming. That's awesome. I'll be on TV. It's, like, it, it matters more to people because he really... It's um, a chance
1: to, like, share your yourself, your culture, your food. It's right. not, like, just, like yeah oh look here we are on tv because we have this massive you know burger or whatever (laughs) that the man versus food guy can eat yeah totally
0: yeah so that's a really nice legacy to have and like a positive legacy to have in the world also obviously with the class dimension like we totally just stole an interest in street food from watching no reservations and he does it in a way that isn't like like tourist sticky, like class tourism to yeah. Go on the street at night and eat what like working people eat. He's just interested in it as food and culture, not as like a thrilling experience. Well or it something. like really
1: resonated with me because whenever people want me to cook Macedonian food for them, I always want to make like Persani or Shopska or something like that. And those are like that's the food of like poor people, especially Pershani Pipeki. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, it's, Macedonians produce a ton of peppers. Right. There's peppers everywhere. It's
0: sausage, peppers, and egg. Yeah, so
1: and, tomato. Cooked, and tomato. And yeah.
0: tomato, yeah. We
1: have a ton of peppers. We have a ton of tomato. Even if you're, like, harvesting in the fields and you, you, you work all day mm-hmm. physically, like, that's the one thing you're going to have at home all the time. Eggs come from chickens. That's easy. And sausage is the cheapest meat yeah. possible.
0: So And you cook it for a long time so it gets all caramelized. Yeah, and you can do really other stuff,
1: right? Because you're a working yeah. person. you got other shit you got to get done. <laughs> So, it, like, my mom is always like, oh, don't cook that for people. It's my like,
2: favorite.
1: I, I mean, it's my favorite, too. But she's, you know, a lot of times, I mean, it's her favorite, too, probably, actually. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, don't cook that for people. Cook something, like, fancier or whatever. dough. Yeah. Like. But it's like, but that's the best. Like, I love, I love mm-hmm. Like, And it is a good representation of Macedonia for, like, all these reasons. Like, you would get a sense of how... Um, People who aren't, like, well-off or whatever live, you know? And if you went to a village, like, that would be a very normal, I think, meal to get. So, I don't know. To me, when he was, like, emphasizing that in other cultures, that he was interested in having, like, a meal with just a regular Laotian family or whatever. Laotian? Yeah? Good? Yeah. Yeah. With a regular Laotian family, it's like... And that they are going to make something for him that, you know, is fancier for them. Like, you know, maybe sometimes people don't add the sausage or they skip the egg or what, you know, like, but they, you know, they're going to make the best version, but it's still basically a meal that a family can, you know, yeah. afford to make. To me, that was like, I don't know, it just really tied it to me for like, oh, the I know exactly what type of people he's meeting. And they're like very, yeah, just normal people. So... Yeah, no, it was cool. Yeah, and it just really meant a lot. And I mean, even last Christmas, your mom got us an Anthony Bourdain cookbook because yeah. we love Anthony Bourdain. So it's just, um, yeah, it's it's a real real tragedy, and it's like still hard for me to believe that you know we're not going to see any more mm-hmm. TV shows. Every time we've ever gone anywhere, Hong Kong, wherever, like Paris, <laughs> we like iceland famously he hated but <laughs> we, you know we watched episodes of his show to see like where should we eat? what should we check out what things should we look yeah. out for And just to get a sense of the country before we go and it's just crazy to think like that's that's not gonna happen again
0: there was it was kind of nice though like a silver lining to see um all these people online that i think are cool that i didn't know even liked anthony burdain cared yeah. about him yeah like Really touched them too. Yeah. Um, And just
1: so many people pouring. I mean, so many stories like the one you shared of people like talking about just personal experiences they had with him where he was incredibly nice and gracious. And it's really cool to hear that, like, he he, wasn't just that he was like that on TV, but that he was like that. I really couldn't
0: help but feel good reading all those stories. Yeah. he had died, it was really nice to see all that.
1: Yeah. So um, hopefully that's like helpful in terms of both the timeline for getting into the app and oh and also in the app um the sound quality might be a little off compared to usual because we had some issues with recording and then editing so um just you know be patient but overall i think it's pretty good but if it's a little weird here and there just it's fine it'll
0: get better (laughs) (laughs) yeah this was our first time doing like a skype interview episode so you know next time it'll be better but i think Actually, it's going to be better than most random podcasters who do a Skype interview podcast. Yeah. So.
1: Um, Cool. So with that, we'll let you get into the app. Okay. Okay, this week we have our special guest, Georgia, but I'll let him introduce himself a little bit more. Uh, But basically, we're going to talk about Macedonia, and it's a topic that I feel like we talk about on the show a lot, but kind of in passing. So we thought it'd be good to have a more focused episode on um, Macedonia and what's going on with Macedonian politics, since we mention it a lot. And also maybe we'll talk a little bit about brutalism and uh, a little bit about <laughs> about TV. JJ gave us a really good uh, tour of Brutalist uh, architecture while we were in Skopje, so maybe we'll, we'll talk about that too. But yeah, so why don't, why don't we just start by you, um, you know, introduce yourself, uh, tell everybody your name, and um,
2: a
3: little okay. bit about yourself. Okay. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is George, and I've been living in Skopje for the past eight years. Originally I'm from Serbia, but my mom is from Macedonia, I'm from Skopje, so that's my connection to Macedonia. And that's why, one of the reasons why I came back actually here. I've been part of the activist team here in Macedonia. For the past uh, couple of years, it's been quite interesting time to live in Macedonia, <laughs> that's for sure. We had yeah. quite a lot of things happening, and they're still happening, and we don't know where things going to end. So <laughs> it's both interesting and scary to live in Macedonia yeah, <laughs> in this time. Yeah, yeah I
1: bet. Yeah. Could
0: so, we start by talking about the brutalist architecture and how Gruev's government wanted to cover it up? because uh, I think that provides some good history, and also people love brutalism. So,
3: Yeah, well, what I know about um, uh, brutalist architecture in Macedonia and in Skopje in general is I just know very little, because I'm not from around here, but also I'm not an you know, architect and everything, so I know very little about it. But what I know is that the entire thing with brutalist architecture happened after the earthquake Um, in 1963 in Skopje, which was like really devastating. It basically destroyed uh, most of the city. So after that, the leaders of uh, socialist Macedonia back then had this vision of, you know, rebuilding Skopje and make it a a futuristic city. (laughs) So, I mean, basically throughout the city, you can see some parts of that uh, very big project. You you had a chance to see uh, some of the buildings
2: uh, uh, when
3: you were, yeah, the post office and then that uh, student dorm. uh, Yeah,
1: that's where my parents uh, lived when they were students in Skopje. (laughs) So
3: I mean, um, those I guess uh, we uh, we didn't went to see the main railroad station, but that's also part of that project. And the national bank building is also part of that. But those are just, you know, a very few buildings of this huge city that was supposed to be built. But at some point they ran out of money. So, Yeah,
0: but what is there was really beautiful and unique. It was really cool. We'll put like a link. It's a symbol
3: of, you know, um, one time, you know, one era that um, is no longer... um, and I think uh, what is happening right now, I mean, in the past uh, couple of years um, during the um, dictatorship of uh, Nikola Gruevski. Um, the former leader of Vamaro de Pomenei, which is like right now the biggest opposition party in Macedonia, but they ruled this country for 11 years. I think what they tried to do with that is basically erase traces of, you know, socialism and those ideas. Uh, You managed to see some of the the things they did. Basically, they, they stripped down the facades of all those buildings, and then they put this plaster fake baroque and neoclassicism style which are like not even that but (laughs) yeah yeah
0: we saw like columns that were just plaster on the side of a building not even touching the ground
3: (laughs) yeah well i was telling you the story with um, the government building it's basically when we had protests, um, I think they were in 2016. Um, uh, yeah, so we had this ma- uh, very big protests in front of the building, and then people were throwing uh, potatoes. You know, they didn't want to throw rocks, so they were throwing potatoes and like vegetables and stuff. And potatoes left, they basically broke the columns in the facade, you know, they would like, you know, stick inside of it, so you would see clearly that it's not a marble, it's yeah. basically just a plaster, and everything is completely fake, but yeah, surprisingly for fake things, they're quite expensive, you know, it turned out that they spent hundreds of millions of euros or dollars, whichever, uh, on on plaster, so yeah,
0: Yeah, the point was to funnel money to his friends, right?
3: Of course. I mean, (laughs) why else would you do? And also, like you know, to basically create this fake, uh, uh, fake history of you know Macedonia because Macedonia never actually had that period of like you know Neoclassicism and you know Baroque. They were under Ottoman Empire when Europe was going through that. So, I mean. It's not part of Macedonian architecture and it's not part of the tradition at all. So it's like we're trying to reinvent ourselves. I mean, it's not happening just in Macedonia. It's happening throughout Balkans. You know, in Serbia, it's happening right at the moment there. We also have a similar situation that Macedonia had a couple of years ago. We have this centrist government, which is leaning quite a lot towards right, right? They're basically ex-nationalists that reformed themselves, and they're basically, you know, pushing the European agenda, but with a very strong nationalist rhetoric, you know, on a daily basis. It's just what Gruevski did, you know, at the beginning uh, of his ruling of Macedonia. I mean, it's exactly the same blueprint, you know, that's happening right now in Serbia. So. I-
0: I think that reimagining the past thing is so interesting too. Like, we have this book by a a writer, Corey Robin, where he says every conservative movement is actually a reactionary movement. And it's so it's like incorporating aspects of like the leftist movement that they're combating into this new synthesis. And part of that is reimagining a past that never existed.
3: Exactly. I mean, the. I guess, you know, I read somewhere that, you know, for um, nationalists and for, like, you know, the right wing people, um, they have one problem is that their na- nation is never good enough, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's
3: why they always try to invent, you know, something better, something Purer, I mean, only like, under quotation marks, yeah. because you know what they see and what they have is not just you know good enough. You know they have these twisted ideas in their mind what a perfect nation should look like, and no nation in the world is like that. I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous. But
1: and it'll never be pure enough. You know, when we get rid of one ethnicity now, and now okay, like if, like obviously one of the issues in Macedonia is like the Albanians and the Macedonians or whatever, and Like, if we got rid of the Albanians somehow, which I'm not saying we should, but, you know, then it would be, okay, well, which Macedonians are pure enough? Well, did your parents come from this part of, you know, Aegean Macedonia? Or did they, you know, it's just, it goes on and on and on forever.
3: Yeah. And also, like, you know, with Albanians, I mean, there is this, like, you know, very big wall between Macedonians and Albanians, and not just Macedonians and Albanians, but, like, you know, in the Balkans in general, there is, like, you know, very big wall, between Albanians and Serbs, Albanians and Montenegrins, it's um, there is first of all a language barrier. Like you know, because yeah.
1: um, we all speak like a Slavic-based language, like Serbian, yeah. Macedonian. Yeah. Like. So
3: everyone can pretty much communicate easily, except you know Albanians and the the Slavic people. You know, yeah. that's a really big problem. And. Because of that, I also think, you know, it's from Yugoslavian time is that, you know, they've been pushed quite a lot to the side and Albanians have been marginalized quite a lot in Yugoslavian time. So I think they don't feel like being part of these now newly independent countries that succeeded Yugoslavia. But it's like, I think... uh, yeah, I mean they don't feel uh, belonging, you know, here. Yeah. And that's I mean majority of them. I I have friends who are Albanian and who I mean of uh, consider Macedonia their home country, you know, and it's like they're very I I guess what I'm trying to say is that they feel Macedonia is their own uh, country, you know. They don't feel like Albanian is Albania is their country and they're just stuck here in Macedonia. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's a very complex question. I mean, it's like Balkan is, uh, (laughs) I think, the worst melting pot in the world because it's like every time something progressive happens like Yugoslavia, you know, that's the the most modern thing that happened in the Balkans in centuries, you know, basically (laughs) uniting all these different nations under one, you know, country. And I think Yugoslavia was probably, in a way, European Union type of project. Yeah. You know, way before European Union was yeah. set up in the form like it's today. I think the idea was to get people together because they use the same language, just different dialects of it. Now it's basically a whole bunch of different languages. Which is quite sad because, you know, um, in a way, you take American English and then you butcher it around, you know, and be like, you know, okay, so this is like this. uh, I mean, this is, uh, I guess, Floridian and this is Californian. And it's like, no, we have some dialects and stuff, but it's in the essence, it's it's the same language. So I guess everything that happened uh, after the wars during the 90s, you know, and the collapse of uh, and breaking of Yugoslavia is basically a huge step back in time, you know. Yeah. We're going to the nationalist state, national state, actually, which are nationalists as well. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. We regressed in so many ways. It's It's really sad, you know, when you... Yeah, but I mean
1: there has been a little bit of uh, progress or at least efforts towards progress, right? I know when we uh, visited, obviously, they had just changed leadership, which was marginally better. You told us obviously about like the colorful revolution and stuff like that. So I was wondering if you could like maybe talk a little bit about like what happened, what led up to it? And, and kind of how going.
3: Well, so we had like 11 years of dictatorship Yeah, and it's like you know worst form of it and i guess
1: um so they like were forcing people I know if you wanted to get a job you had to be a member of the party right like
3: yeah i mean uh, exactly like if you wanted to get a job in um and here in macedonia uh you should also know that um unemployment rate is quite high you know it's Uh, Officially, it's uh, over 30% uh, and uh, I think, you know, past like 10, 15 years and it never dropped below that number. So that's really big, uh, like huge unemployment rate. Also, if you want to work in the private sector unless you're a programmer or like, you know, working that kind of like, you know, industry, you are basically stuck with very, very uh, small salaries. Like, you know, you, the average, um, uh, the minimal salary in Macedonia, I think it's around uh, 200 euros or 100, no, sorry, 150 euros, which is, you know, a little bit over $150. That's like a month? a month, yeah. So, and then um, the average moves around 200. And I read some a couple of years ago, I was trying to find it, but I failed. I, I have to ask my friends from uh, the leftist movement, Solidarity. They, I think they did the, the research and the study. Um, Basically, something like 80% of people in Macedonia are having earning 200 uh, euros or less per month. Wow! Like of the workforce, and then of course you have these government institutions where the salaries are a little bit above the average, and the only way to get a job there is to be a you know member of the ruling party.
2: Yeah.
3: So basically, for 11 years they installed this system of like you get the party membership, cards, you get the job in the government institutions. And the sad thing is also like if you want to get, I guess, a credit, uh, like a loan from a bank to buy an apartment, they only give it to people working in administration or some private companies, but not all of them. So basically, if you want, you know, like if you're young and you want to start your own family and you want to buy an apartment and stuff like that? You basically have to, you know, find a job in um, government administration. Otherwise, you're pretty much screwed. <laughs> so that's how they. That's um, w- when you think of it. It's a really brilliant idea. You know, like you set up your party as a huge corporation. Mm. They had their own companies, their own like uh, hospitals, their own the entire administration so yeah Yeah. Yeah. and that basically helped them to stay in power like you know and to win every election with you know big majority and not to mention that you know a lot of people have been disappointed by the social democrats before and they kept failing to you know come up with some sort of program that would be like okay you know we have a vision we have idea I mean, even now, like, you know, the last elections, they actually didn't won. Yeah. They lost the election. Uh, I mean, the difference was a couple of thousands of votes, but they got the opportunity to form the government because the Albanian party and in Macedonia, you have this system where basically um, you cannot form the government if you don't have support of one of the Albanian parties. So basically the Albanian party with majority, like with a lot of votes, they gave them support. So that's how they managed to form the government.
0: Right. Albanians and are like 25%, 25% of the population, right? Albanian, Macedonians.
3: Yeah, that's very debatable at this point. And I mean, it's a very sensitive topic because Macedonia didn't have um, census yeah. um, in quite a long time. I think the last one was somewhere, I don't know, around 2000. So it's like, you know, maybe like 20 years. Like, yeah. just a, or like you know, 15 years, they did not have a census. So you really don't have idea of how, what's, what's like the... the I mean, you don't have idea how many people live in Macedonia. Like the ethnic breakdown. <laughs> because on the last election, like you know, the uh, when they had this like you know like, uh, list of voters, uh, they said that they're like oh two point, I don't know two million Macedonians. But what I've been listening for the past years, like eight years, is that at least three hundred thousand people left Macedonia. So I'm like you know. <laughs> Something is definitely like, yeah. <laughs> not right there but Yeah,
1: so this so basically this government obviously was like very awful the when the Gruevski government that we've just
2: been talking about yes.
3: I mean, they got into power because people were fed up with status quo that was being pushed by the Social Democrats before Because, I mean, Social Democrats are talented for one thing, and I think not just Social Democrats, but Democrats in general. Yeah. Is that they're just, you know, very good at peddling status quo. Like, you know... Not changing anything, not making, you know, huge changes in the society, just, you know, to give promises, you know, they they will never make uh, come true. Yeah, they're
1: they're really good at making it look like it's a victory to come back to the status quo, you know, like (laughs) with us here. It's like, oh, Donald Trump is like so terrible. So if we just return to a normal Democrat, everything will be perfect. You know, it's like, no, it was not good Mm -hmm. before. Like, it doesn't automatically get better just because we return to
3: you know normal i mean that's it happened in serbia as well it's like you know we had a horrible dictatorship during the 90s you know and all the wars and stuff so at one point the critical mass managed to overthrow the dictatorship we got this uh, huge coalition of very different parties and basically they co- their government the first government collapsed and then we got the democrats and they ruled serbia for 12 years they did a lot of things I'm not saying that they didn't, but it's like, you know, when you're basically going out of like, you know, um, socialist, I mean, under quotation marks, it was not social, it was was extreme nationalist um, dictatorship, you know, during the 90s. And, of course, everything is better, but still they failed to do so many things that they promised, like, you know, dealing with corruption, processing the criminals from the previous government, you know, doing uh, the stuff that will actually help the system and the society to start Mm -hmm. healing and become functional, you know, in a way that you have a judicial system that actually is not corrupt, but actually does its job. have police that is not corrupt, but actually does its job and stuff like that. So, this, unfortunately, they failed to do all those things. They didn't deal with the corruption at all. They didn't prosecute any of the politicians from the previous government, even though there were, like, obvious evidence <laughs> of you know They did a lot of criminal things. And then they lost the election because people were, like, pissed at them and they yeah. didn't go out and vote. So we ended up in Serbia with a dictatorship, just like Macedonia ended up with Gruesk. And now the, Democrat, the Social Democrat Party in Macedonia is doing exactly the same things all over again. Mm. Even though they promised, one of the things people went out in the streets and actually after that, one of the things why people voted for them was the promises that they will prosecute the criminals yeah. from the previous government. They they will deal with the corruption which is on a staggering level i don't think like i mean you cannot even imagine how this system is corrupt basically if you have money and connections you can do pretty much anything in this country and no one will do anything about it and of course they they sentenced grisky for two years because he didn't follow the procedures for like buying stuff on tender or something like that. So basically, the, uh, he bought this uh, Mercedes, okay. which costed like 600,000 euros. And because of that, they sentenced him for two years in prison. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding yeah. me? <laughs> <laughs> you like, <have> yeah. <laughs> and that's the, like, you know, that's a huge victory. I'm like, no. Yeah. First of all, he will not go to jail. Let's face it; he'll probably stay at home. Yeah. yeah. Hang out with his wonderful family. Plot how uh, when this government From collapses, powers. and they will collapse. You know, people would just want. I mean, I won't vote for them in the next election. Yeah. So they'll just come back, and it will bite them in the ass. Oh, so bad, but yeah. <laughs>
0: Can I say my favorite Grevsky an- uh, anecdote that you told us about? Um, so obviously, they had all these construction projects. They put this giant statue of Alexander the Great in the middle of Skopje. And they also made one almost as big of like a woman, and it's like a fountain. And it's supposed to be Alexander's mother. And who did they model it on? Grevsky's wife. So there's this huge monument, basically,
3: to Grevsky's wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and In it's the still
2: there. Yeah, and it's
3: hideous. <laughs> it, it's, uh, and all it is, is like, so all weird. of that is, I mean, yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, it's really sad, but then again, like, nationalists never had, like, the right-wing people, they never had talented artists around no. them. So it's <laughs> like, you know, they always had, like, the worst artists, the worst <laughs> entertainers, the worst musicians. Yeah. So, I mean, it's no wonder, like, you know, you, you always have this, like... Explosion of kids, you know, and, like, you know, yeah. really, really bad art. Yeah.
1: Um, so let's talk about the color revolution a little bit, because I think we've done a good job explaining, like, why people were not satisfied <laughs> with their lives in Macedonia, and a little bit about, like, what they were looking for to change, like, prosecution of these criminals that have been running the country and stuff like that. But, like, um, what kind of happened? Like, how did that... Because I think we came, like, a, a year later, and there was still... Uh, buildings that had, you know, color... uh, Color bombed. Yeah.
3: Well, it it all started on May 5th, 2016. I'm very bad with years. Like, you know, as a freelancer, (laughs) I work from home. So, like, you know, (laughs) I I completely lost track of time. Like, I never know (laughs) which day is it or, like, you know, (laughs) I stopped, you know. like Right now I know it's 2018, but, like, you know, I lost quite a lot of reference, you know, what happened last year, what happened the year before. But I think it was 2016. So audio recording came out of a conversation of a minister of interior, like, you know, the one that is supervising police, and, you know, um, all those agencies. And she was talking with, I think it was, the conversation was with a public relations officer of the police, and they were basically talking how a murder happened. One of the special forces guys killed a boy on the public square during, during the celebration of their wow. victory and she, her comment was like, you know, what kind of country is this where you cannot hide one one stupid murder? Uh-huh. That's oh, the minister wow. of police. I
1: did not realize that. That's crazy.
3: That came out, you know, and then we just, you know, people started writing. We're meeting in front of the government building. So we went there. It was like probably like 1,500 people and the news spreads around Skopje. And by the time, you know, majority of people gathered, we already crossed these barricades that police set up in front of the government building. And back then, we didn't have this ugly fence that, you know, the government building has right now. So you basically could really easily get closer to the building. So we jumped over the fences I still have that video. It's I, I really like watching it. I mean, it's really. <laughs> <laughs> but it's basically the, we started pushing the cops closer to the building, and then like you know, people ca- uh, started coming from all over the Skopje, gathering there, and then at some point, police came with the water cannons and like a much more police officers, and they pushed us away. But that's the initial moment when you know all started so it started like you know with the movement that was called protesting and then at some point some people thought that it would be interesting to use these balloons filled with paint and to throw them on these perfectly white buildings because mm-hmm. that was i did i also don't understand like you know what's the obsession with like white when it comes to the nationalists and nazis it's like yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, people started trying those around and then, you know, painting all these fake white facades all over the city. And a friend of mine, she's a journalist, and she was reporting as, as a correspondent to Deutsche Welle there, uh, then. And she coined the phrase colorful revolution, and that's how the revolution got the name. And I mean, the word about it started spreading throughout other cities. And month by month, you know, we got to this critical point where we actually managed to push things to the point where you can actually ex- uh, feel that the change is imminent, you know, and then they are about to collapse, you know, so... And then, of course, the foreign diplomats intervened to stop things from escalating. Mm. And then we got these elections and this government and this huge disappointment that is happening right now. Yeah. Um, But a lot of activists from the colorful revolution got jobs in in the public relations sector of the new government, yes, so... Yeah. Yeah. I guess, so guess it's not, you know, lost for everyone. You
1: know? I guess. It's, um, I guess that's part of neoliberalism, though, you know, it's like they're very good at incorporating crises into basically like their governing plans, so this was a crisis, we needed foreign diplomats, you know, like to stop it from going over the edge or whatever. But then at the same time, obviously wasn't that bad because they're immediately able to just co-opt a bunch of the people that were activists and say, okay, here's a job. Now be quiet. Basically. Now you're part of the government. Stop protesting. But you then know, again, you know.
3: I mean, the people that actually got jobs, you know, in the government and once Were uh,
1: the most revolutionary
3: <laughs> are not really real activists, like, yeah, you know, most of them come from well-paid jobs in the NGOs and also have a really nice, you know, connections to family connections to the
2: mm-hmm.
3: right now ruling party. So it's like no, they it's were just there. I mean, as the supporters, uh, that's really nice. <laughs> but then I really don't like when they take all the credit for things that happened. Mm. You know, And they tend, some of them tend to do that, not all of them. Of course, I mean, some people that got jobs in the uh, government, I think they're quite okay people. I mean, they they have this belief that, you know, you can change the system from within, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: which I used to believe, (laughs) but not anymore.
1: (laughs) Okay, so that kind of brings us more towards present day, obviously, like I was saying, like when we came in, it was actually like the day of these elections and things were getting a little crazy. There was some violence in the parliament, right? There was like a big riot yeah.
0: that was organized by the conservatives, it
3: seems like. Was that 2017? It was, uh, yeah, it was um, it was organized by Bumaro, which which, yeah. I mean, they, let's face it, they did not lose the election. They expected they will be the ones that will, you know, constitute the new government. I don't know what happened behind the closed doors, but in the end, the Social Democrats got the, the opportunity coalition. to yeah, through coalition to basically form this new government. And the supporters of Wimero gathered in front of Parliament. At one point they violently entered. They it was really like scary because yeah. as the I understand them in. Yeah, the police led them. I mean there was virtually like, you know, quite a very few policemen there. So it's like, you know They
1: kinda of stood back.
3: Let yeah. It and basically Some of them went there to um, try to kill a man that is right now the prime minister of Macedonia. They also attacked one of the Albanian leaders. um, And he was really badly beaten. And it was scary. Like, you know, basically... If they managed to kill that guy, and managed to kill the leader of uh, Social Democrats, I think we would probably have
0: a war. I mean,
3: yeah, we would have probably a civil yes. war in Macedonia. At, like, at the know, very death. least,
0: there'd be like a resurgence of Albanian terrorism. Yeah, yeah,
3: I mean, so thank yes. God, you know, yeah. I don't know what happened, but you know, some of them, I guess they changed their mind. And didn't go through, you know, with all of that. So, but yeah, it was really scary. Then they constituted the parliament, they constituted the new government, and then the next day, they forgot all the things (laughs) they promised.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I was going to say, like, they came in promising, like, yeah, to, like, prosecute and obviously, I guess, to create change in Macedonia after 11 years of this one ruling party. But it seems like so far their main focus has, I mean, I don't know, you can tell us, but from, like, what I see, which is obviously a little filtered and biased, their main focus seems to really be, like, joining the EU and the name yeah. issue yeah. and stuff, stuff like, like that, because I, I think, think that's, that's like very sexy, sexy right? Because then they, they can know. like point to something big and say like, hey, look at this major thing we accomplished that the other yeah. party didn't, right?
3: Well, I mean, Groevsky got into power because he really promised, you know, that um, he will uh, lead Macedonia in EU and NATO. And uh, I mean, at some point Macedonia got a recommendation to start negotiations with EU and they got the recommendation before Serbia got it, before Montenegro got it. Uh, they, I think they got it at the, around the same time as Croatia, maybe a couple of years later. But if they did all their homework, Macedonia would probably be a part of EU right yeah. now. If there is not one problem, and that's the name of the right. country, mm-hmm. yes. and dispute with Greece over the name. Can you explain yeah. that briefly for listeners? Yeah, well, it's a um, it's a really old conflict. It's basically, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like all the conflicts in uh, in the Balkans. Yeah, the Balkan people really know how to hold a grudge. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> they did not forget. <laughs> so. If you search on Wikipedia, on the English article about it, it's heavily redacted by Greeks, so <laughs> nothing happened, you know. <laughs> Macedonians just decided to leave Greece. The, <laughs> yeah. But if you read in other Balkan languages, then you realize that basically, I think it was like, you know, after the Second World War, uh, like um, the Macedonians... Uh, uh, Slavic Macedonians in Greece, like you know, the Macedonians. Yeah, um, they fought on the side of the, you know, um, well, partisans. Yeah, the partisans, the communists, and stuff. So against the Ottoman uh, Empire,
0: uh, no. against
3: the no, the Second World War the against the oh, second fascists. World War. Yeah. yeah, and after that, they asked, you know, for right to use their own language and you know their own books in schools and stuff like that. And they had that right before. And then the Greeks didn't want it. Yeah, and, because
1: so they, the yeah. part of Macedonia had already been
3: handed over. Handed over, well, Mas- yeah. Yeah, I the mean, Greeks. Macedonia has been divided, you know, twice. Once yeah. it was di- divided in the during the Byzantine time or the Roman time, I think. And then yeah. once it was divided, you know,
1: like after the Treaty of Bucharest or something, yeah. right? It's like 19-
0: 1913,
1: I think.
3: Something.
0: When like the America. Ottoman Empire was
1: forced. Yeah. Out. yeah.
3: So, basically, the Greeks made it, I mean, in all sense, you know, impossible for Macedonians to live there. They destroyed uh, some of the villages, the cultural centers, the schools... Um,
1: weren't allowed
3: to speak Macedonian yeah people weren't allowed to speak Macedonian you would have to pay something like uh, 20 cents for every Macedonian word you said (laughs) uh, as a punishment or if you didn't have money then they would send you to some of the Greek islands to mine stone so I mean they did quite well job you know to make it impossible for people there to continue their lives so a lot of Macedonians left and then uh, I think it was 1949, uh, but I have to I'm, I'm really bad with that part of history, but I think at, uh, at some point that they gave, gave an ultimatum to just to exile all the children and all the people you know and basically did an ethnical cleansing you know yeah. of the northern Greece or Macedonian region of Greece so something like 100,000 people were forced to move away from their homes and those who remained they were forbidden to be to identify themselves as Macedonians in the sense like you know the Macedonians before that mm-hmm. and also to it was forbidden for them to use the language and to use old old names of the villages and stuff so yeah. pretty much you know
1: yeah, so like I my, my my maternal grandfather's family is from Booth, but now, now Boof is, is called like Florina or something, right? I think. Yeah. So they like everything got changed. Like the names of people that live there got changed. Yeah. The names like to be more Greek sounding the and, the towns yeah. were changed.
0: And people to this day are scared to speak like they're nervous about speaking Macedonian there. The younger people probably don't at all. And when we visited, like, some older dados could, but, like, they were pretty hesitant, too.
3: Yeah, that's... And also, after the Ottoman Empire collapsed, you know, and the Greeks got that region under their ruling, they basically had this, like, swap of, like, a lot of Greeks from coastal area of Turkey mm-hmm. moved there. And that's why you have, like, these names, like, New FS or, like, you know, whatever, because... Um, trying to combine (laughs) to remind them of of, yeah of that part of the the places that they came from so they uh, pretty much changed the the ethnical structure of the the the, yeah of the area so pretty much you know so it's uh,
1: been a conflict uh, since then basically yeah
3: (laughs) The conflict is, you know, the, the Greeks, uh, that province of Greece <coughs> is called Macedonia. They don't want Macedonia to be called Macedonia. They don't want Macedonians to be called Macedonians. They don't want the language to be called Macedonian language. So, right now, the negotiations yeah. are basically to find yeah. this solution. That will, the, the both sides, well, no one will be satisfied, I guess, because like, you know, Macedonians uh, will have to change the name of the state, the, uh, how they identify themselves, yeah. the n- name of the language, which I don't think like, you know, any country in the world would be happy, you know, if someone tells yeah. them to like, you know, you have to change it, That this.
1: It's also like a basic human right, you know, self-determination, right?
0: Like It's even more basic than self-determination, just identity. Like, <laughs> can you admit yeah, your existence?
3: Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: And name, so, bec- because true. of that dispute, Macedonia has been held back ever since it got its independence from Yugoslavia. In the 90s, it, they could not... They get blocked part, by Greece. Yeah, like, invitation to become uh, part of NATO. It has been blocked, I think in 2008. Uh, they did not start negotiations with EU. And as a reaction to all those things, you have like growing nationalism in a combination of course with like huge poverty here and you know decline of the quality of living, surge of corruption and stuff. So you basically have this as a reaction to all of that, you have this like you know surge of nationalism. And quite a lot of people are against joining EU and NATO, you know, if that means, you know, like changing the name of the country. And on the other hand, Macedonia is basically almost surrounded by all NATO states Mm -hmm. with the part it's surrounded with EU. And then there is, um, you know a big chance that, you know, Albania, Serbia, Montenegro will become part of EU in some, you know, foreseeable future. So it's really dangerous to be left, to be an island in that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, look look at Bosnia. It's like they're also having their own problems with like this federation, which basically is like, you know, ethnically divided. You have Serbs, you have... uh, bosnian muslims and you have croats you know each living in their own uh, part of the country not liking each other so that country is also like you know stuck and it's not moving forward in any way
1: yeah so there's like i guess those are some of like the benefits like you don't want to be left out and stuff like that and i think then there's also people like me, who are a little bit skeptical of joining EU, especially looking at what actually, you know, has happened to Greece, for example. And I guess, like, a major fear for me is that, like, Macedonia, like, the opportunities that come with joining the EU for Macedonia are basically, like, Macedonia becoming a little bit of, like, a sweatshop for other EU countries, because the labor there is going to be so much cheaper.
3: Macedonia is already a sweatshop for Uh, EU countries. I mean, it's like... We are basically competing with Bangladesh and Mm. Pakistan with like, you know, for like their textile industry and Macedonian, Mm. like, you know, who's going to do it cheaper. So there is, uh, I'll look, uh, look it up, there is a wonderful documentary about women working in the like textile industry here. Mm. And how they're abused, you know, oh. and they have to work shifts that last 12 hours. Mm. They're not allowed to have breaks. So basically some of them wear diapers mm. while yeah. working. So and then at the end of the month they get these ridiculous salaries of like $150 for entire month of work. So, I mean, it's already a sweatshop for Europe. And let's face it, like, you know, the entire Eastern Europe and all the uh, former communist bloc, it's basically a cheap labor for Western European countries. Yeah. Like they're shifting their operations, their productions in these countries to cut the costs, you know, to, because if they have to pay a salary in Germany, 2000 euros, and then you figure out that, you know, you can get 10 workers for that salary in Serbia, Macedonia, Romania, Bulgaria, and they are part of this like free trade. I mean, we don't... uh, we can export goods in EU uh, without you know paying to okay. uh, yeah tariffs or uh, customs or stuff like that so it's for them it's ideal so, so and you know, let, let's not forget one important thing is that our genius governments have this idea that you know uh, in order to create these new working places they're basically giving these foreign companies all these tax breaks, uh, financial yeah. incentives, and stuff. So if you're a foreigner here trying to open a factory, like the government will probably pay workers for a couple of years until you, you know, make enough profit, and then you're like, you know. Buy, I'm going in another country. <laughs> yeah,
1: of so, course. A, a country, another country that will provide, like Walmart does here, you know, another co- country that will pro- provide me other um, tax breaks, basically. Like, this. you know, make it even cheaper for me somewhere else. Like, who cares? Just, like, sense, it's easy um, for them to
2: move.
3: The good thing, I, uh, what I see about, like, becoming an EU member state is that if you're a skilled worker or, like, you know, if you're fed up with this crap (laughs) holes, like, you know, in the Balkans, then it's much easier for you to go to Germany (laughs) and get a job there. Because right now it's not that easy. I mean, that's why a lot of Macedonians and the official numbers are saying like something like 150,000 applied for Bulgarian passports.
1: Right. Because Bulgaria oh. will give Macedonians uh, Bulgarian passports, right? Because
0: Bulgaria is another country that want that doesn't think Macedonia exists, and not everybody there is Bulgarian.
3: Well, that's the funny thing is like you know in the Balkans, like each country thinks that the others do not exist. <laughs> like, you know, like Bulgarians think that you know Serbs are just you know, and Macedonians are just Bulgarians that um, they're pretending that that they're not Bulgarians. Yeah. So it's like you know every country is like that, and every country has this dream of like uh, having much bigger, uh, much bigger borders yeah. than the current ones. It's a funny thing. Is like you know if if their wild dreams of like you know having big Albania, big Serbia, big Croatia, <laughs> big Bulgaria, big Macedonia. If all I mean if any of those become reality, they f- fail at one thing. Is like they will become a minority in their own big states yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's really that's
1: a great point yeah yeah so basically right now the name dispute is like really coming to a head right because uh this government has been really focused on trying to deal with this issue so that they can start to move forward
3: in the eu and Later. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's so that's what worries me. It's like, you know, one day you get uh, information that it's like, oh, we're almost done with the negotiations. We yeah. have a solution. And then the Greek side says, like, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. <laughs> there is no way we're having, we're that close. So it's like you don't know what's going on. I, when I was in Serbia last week, Serbian media said that like you know, oh, the they already uh, finalized the, ne- the negotiations. Macedonia will be call, called Northern Macedonia. So I was like, okay. I mean, it's not ideal, but then again, you know, you still get you know Macedonia as a term. But it turns out it was just a fake news. Um, yeah. So.
2: I mean, yeah,
1: because I heard like uh, Vardalska Macedonia Lindenska Macedonia or something yeah. like that, right? Macedonia with Skopje in parentheses which yeah. as a uh, Vitolchenka, I'm not okay with. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I mean none of the solutions are, I mean none of the things, names that they recommended are good. Like, yeah. You know, but then again, I mean, I'm not really good I I, I don't feel like I should talk about this because I grew up in other country and I mean I love Macedonia um, my mom is Macedonian um, I love that you know I love that part of my heritage but um, I didn't grow up in Macedonia so I really Mm -hmm. don't have this like strong feeling about like you know that Macedonia should keep its name
2: Yeah,
3: I'm very pragmatic about it, like, you know, uh, I'm thinking, like, if it's gonna, you know, be like, if if it's gonna end this stupid this dispute, yeah. and will help us move, push uh, all uh, certain things forward, I'm like, you know, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. But then I talk with people here, and then I get it, like, I mean, they're not happy about it because it's one thing. You're growing up in a country that has this name. You're Macedonian and stuff, and then someone tells you you're not. Yeah. It's kind of insulting. So I get, I get it.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. I think about it the, like that way too. I'm kind of of two minds about it because part of me is like, like there's a very active diaspora uh, organization um, that is. I I feel like it's pretty conservative or like nationalist because they are very against changing the name and i think that that's like not that doesn't really make sense it it doesn't make sense to me because it's like well we maintain our heritage and our macedonian identity as macedonians outside of macedonia so why are we so afraid that like the macedonian identity inside macedonia is going to be threatened by this you know
2: yeah on
1: the other hand i think and i and i generally think like it's it should be up to macedonians that live in macedonia like whatever they think is best is how we should do it but then on the other hand i do have like some personal feelings too where i'm like well i'm macedonian like that's that's what i am that's you know that's where i come from and i don't like the idea of someone telling me suddenly like no you can't say that or no you Macedonia doesn't exist. There is no Macedonia. Yeah. There's only Macedonia inside of Greece, you know? Like, there's, like, there's a part of me that just like deep, in, as much as I want to be pragmatic and be like, yeah, like do whatever works. There's another part of me that's also like, oh, like I don't like that.
0: <laughs> it seems like maybe the diaspora is holding on harder to the name than the people who live there, which yeah. I think is interesting.
3: I mean, yeah. th- this dispute is basically showing what's wrong with international relations in general. it's like it's always one side it's more powerful than the other yeah and then they're in position like Greeks in this situation are more powerful than Macedon yeah they're giving up nothing they are not giving up they're basically you know bullying you into surrendering you at some point and be like okay you know I'll do anything you say just leave me alone yeah. yeah, and that's how international relations really work. It's like you know, <laughs> yeah. you bully someone until they you know are fed up, and you know, they give up at some point. So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Macedonians are definitely negotiating from a place of weakness, right? And like you know, desperation. Yeah. And the Greeks yeah. are. I mean, they're not like strong in the world, but in this situation, they have you know they, they have EU membership. They have NATO. You
3: know, NATO. Yeah. They're so in the part of the world where like you know uh, they're strategically positioned uh, so NATO has quite a lot of benefits you know that Greece is member state Uh, and considering you know the turmoils in Turkey and stuff no Mm -hmm. one will like to piss off Greece at this point and be like you know because I mean as I said like you know international relations they work like that like since I don't know since forever, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, I guess
1: that's why you know. pieces of Macedonia got broken up so many times because it's always And been let's face it, Macedonia <laughs> really
3: does not have uh, strong allies around the world. It's like yeah, uh, it's left on its own, and and I I feel like every time you have this like you know foreign powers intervene in the region, mm-hmm. they just create more chaos
1: yeah. and
3: more problems. Than they were before. Some like,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, they don't know. Like, I mean, look at—we had to like take a trip back to 1913, right? To talk about why the name dispute exists. So you have to like know that history and care about it, and yeah. you know, to like even just deal with this one conflict, let alone all the other conflicts in the Balkans.
3: <laughs> I know. I mean, it's like um, when I moved here um, uh, in 2010 and in 2011 and. Because I didn't know uh, any of the people here. So um, my first idea was to find uh, people my age that I can talk to. As I, when I was going to American Corner. Here is Skopje. And they had this event like, you know, coffee with a diplomat from time to time. And then there were some of diplomats from the embassy, you know, coming. And uh, we had like, you know, uh, discussions on different topics and stuff. They had this, like, you know, from time to time, they would touch this uh, name dispute and stuff. And they would say, like, you know, but I don't see what's the problem. Like, you know, you're still Macedonians, you know, it's just <laughs> the name change. And I'm like, I don't think you will sing, you know, say the same if someone says, like, okay, United States of America.
1: Exactly. should not be
3: called like that because, let's face it, it's not all of the states of America. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's know, a bullshit name. One part of it. So it's like, yeah. you, know, you should change your name to something different. I mean, you know, let's say like, you know, the entire Central, South America, Mexico and Canada decide like to bully America into yeah. changing its name and identity. Yeah. I don't think it would be like, the Americans will be very happy about it.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were just talking about that. We yeah. Are, yeah.
0: And it is a bullshit name. Ideally it would be different, but it's yeah, the, we're the only name. We're, there's no other name. We're
1: the only ones that call ourselves Americans, but there's Americans in North America yeah. and you know, like in Canada they're North Americans, right? Or in yeah. South America, they're Americans too. They're just South Americans, you know, like but we're the only ones that get to just claim America. <laughs> which yeah. is ridiculous. But if someone told us to change our identity tomorrow, yeah, like people would be up in arms like i mean it would not no one would be yeah. chill about that. i mean
0: i'd probably think it's wrong even though it's a
3: bad name yeah it's,
1: it's i all, remember when,
3: when france said like you know we're not going to iraq and yeah like you know then like you know all the chaos freedom yeah okay if they're like you know ready to do that you know just because they said like we're not fighting this war with you Imagine if you bully America into changing its name. It's yeah. gonna be like you know.
1: Yeah, yeah,
3: totally. When you're in a position like that, it's easy, you know, to say like, "Ah, oh, change the name." Yeah. When you don't yeah. feel connected to to the problem in a certain way. Yeah. So that's why I'm like you know I'm maybe not a good a uh, uh, person to talk about uh, about this name dispute because I don't have that strong connection to, you know, the name. I'm like, North Macedonia, fine. You know, Vardeska Macedonia, it's fine. As long as we can push things forward. Yeah. But then again, I'm like, you know, talking with people here. And I also understand one point, it's like, it's just Macedonia the problem in this situation. But Greek Macedonia... It's fine, you know. So, yeah, it's like, why don't we, like, have, like, reciprocity on both sides? Yeah. yeah. Why don't you name your Macedonia, I don't know. If this is going to be Northern Macedonia, name it, I don't know, Southern Macedonia. Exactly. Macedonia. Yeah. yeah. So, no one will have exclusive right to Macedonia. Yes. Yeah. And that's the, the end of the... Sol- I mean, I that's th- the solution. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think that would What's... be a much more preferable solution. Like, nobody gets it than well we still get to be now we're the official macedonia even though there's like this is just a part of a different country you know? whereas macedonia that's the only name we have like
0: what's uh what's your sense of what left-wing macedonians do think about it or is there no consensus um
3: well there's no consensus because like some left-wing people are basically well some of them are I guess some of them are for, like, you know, changing the name and achieving this deal with Greece. But I think the majority of them is actually, they see it as a way. And I also think that's one of the reasons why um, the dispute is lasting so long. And both sides are using it to, you know, distract the people from the Mm -hmm. real problems they're facing so like you know they're not tackling the problems of like poverty declining decline of st- standard of living the quality of living i mean those are those are the real problems that both greeks and macedonians are facing
1: yeah yeah that's what i was saying like they the, they pick this issue i think cuz it's like a sexy issue you know it's like exciting like look at this big thing we're doing as opposed to working on like you know, reforming the court system, because I know, like, that's a big problem in Macedonia, right? Like, court disputes, like, drag on indefinitely. And, like, if you want to, like, sue your employer for not paying you, it ends up costing you way more than your actual salary, right? Like, three times your actual salary or something. So it's hard to, like, hold people accountable when they rip people off and stuff like that. There's a lot of corruption, like, all these issues we've been talking about. But this one is so... It's, like, one big thing, and it's, like, if we can do this then next election we can point and say look look at how you know how much further we move the country than the previous government or whatever so i think that they're kind of banking on it being like a big section they are like the nationalists
3: are banking on it quite a lot i mean the fact that the salaries are so low in macedonia Mm -hmm. we're not part of you and it's greek's fault like you know they're Mm -hmm. sabotaging us But if we were part of NATO and EU, the salaries would be like, you know, super high, which is a bullshit. Let's face it. Then I guess in Greece, every time a real issues come, you know, to surface, you can always like drum up the, you know, take out the nationalists in the big rallies and defocus the public from the real problems. Yeah. It's like, you know, in Serbia. Every time people start asking questions that are really important for the quality of the life there of the average people, they always manage to take out Kosovo and create some sort of like you know big conflict there, and you know start drumming and announcing like you know oh we are on the edge of new war with Kosovo and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's and with Croatia and with Bosnia. It, Every time some real problem arises in in the society, mm-hmm. boom, we have we go to war with someone. You know, yeah, just you yeah. know, to defocus the the masses from the real problems. Yeah. So I guess I mean the lefties are seeing it, but then again, the leftist movements in Macedonia are quite weak. But then, yeah. in general, they're quite weak also in in Serbia. In most no, of they're the. Quite weak here. <laughs> I mean. Well, I mean. You have this, like, progressive movement, which is, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, <laughs>
2: well.
3: <laughs> I, I'm following a lot of these, like, progressive pages on Facebook and stuff. So I think things are changing, you know, and progressive candidates are being elected all over yeah. USA on different levels of... Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, the things are happening. They're not happening the way we all wish, you know, like uh, (laughs) overnight, you know, we just go to Versailles, cut (laughs) some heads off and like, you know, boom, we have Republic and, you know, everything is fine. But I think nowadays we have to be patient, you know, and wait for things to slowly unravel. What I really like, and I'm telling everyone here, about American activists and um, socialist uh, movements and progressive movements, it's like it took them a ridiculous amount of time. Yeah. But then again, um, when you work that long and systematically over decades and you're winning those you know, ideas and rights, then uh, once you get them, it's really hard to lose them.
2: That's true yeah. It's
3: like in Yugoslavia after the Second World War the communists got in power, communist party. So mm-hmm. they created created this uh, the first step before the Yugoslavia became the communist country they introduced this socialist system that yeah. was supposed to transform one day into communist but most of the rights that people got there were given to them. They did not really Fight for them. They did not. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, that's why they easily gave up on them. Yeah,
2: my Because parents
3: If, if you really strong, like, if you really put an effort in, into, you know, winning the, the worker rights, the um, you know the, the women uh, to uh, be equally paid and they were equally paid in Yugoslavia mm-hmm. to men so it's like you know you didn't have that issue like you know men earning more than women yeah. or like so i mean they were just given to them and that's why they gave up so easily yeah. and they didn't, they find it like tragical, but not like really big tragedy, I guess. Yeah.
1: The, it's just like, oh, well, it happened. <laughs> yeah.
3: And I'm like, okay, but you know, you do realize that uh, because I, that's what I'm telling my mom and, you know, my uncle and, you know, their generation, because you gave up so easily. We have problem now because like, <laughs> right now we are in this transitional process that we are going towards this capitalist society which is really inhumane because we don't have really capitalism here in the region we have neoliberalism and it's worst form of it so for us to win all those rights back It will take decades, if not a century, you know, of a really hard work. And then when I see the leftist movements around here, maybe millennia would be, you know, a good time frame (laughs) too.
1: They're just, uh, is it like leftist movements everywhere where there's just a lot of infighting? Is that like the issue? Yeah, and they managed
3: to... They managed to, you know, divide themselves into this, like, you know, subcategories. Yeah. Like, you know, to these nuances. It's like, you know, two people are are here, two people are here. It's like... Let's face it, there are like, you know, a thousand leftist activists yeah. in Macedonia. <laughs> yeah. We really don't need to divide and, and split. Um, <laughs> but they just love to do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just yeah. Macedonia, in general, they just love. Yeah. And we have
1: that issue here too, for sure.
3: <laughs> we have this one party here called Levitsa, which is like, you know, basically a left uh, uh, translated in English. And at the beginning, I thought it was a really good idea because like, I know some of the people uh, myself mm-hmm. and I think they have really big potential to actually do something in Macedonia, something good. But then they're stuck with these really regressive people who are stuck in Bolshevik Russia <laughs> yeah. and they're using the same iconography, the same language. They're targeting these super poor workers even though they are not voting for them, because when you're super poor, like people here, they are selling their votes for really, really like, they're selling their votes. Yeah. Like, you know, they get a package of, like, food
2: yeah. for a month,
3: yeah. they will vote for the party. They get okay. 1,000 dinners, which is, like, you know, something like $20, they, yeah. they will vote for the party. So that's like how cheap it is to buy a vote here and then you cannot expect true support from those people because they don't they cannot allow themselves to have this like you know long term vision and goal because they're you know forced to think about how they will survive the next day
1: yeah totally i mean that's it's similar here in the sense that you know it's very hard for like people who you know are working really hard every day just to get by to really ima- like take time to like imagine this a new world that it's you know gonna be like equal and so different and you know what you need to do is just vote for this like leftist party or whatever it's like it 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 makes sense that they're not gonna believe in that you know what, you what i mean, mean? And it's, it's like, like life has let them down so far why would why would things suddenly exactly
3: change? You know? and it's like you know when you're struggling on a daily basis you know just to survive you know yeah. and to get some, you know, basic things, then you are definitely not going to be... You cannot just, you know, reach deep down inside of you and look for inspiration for the yeah. future because, let's face it, you don't give a fuck about future when you're hungry yeah. and underpaid and, like, slept day, on a daily basis by society and yeah. by, you know, the your employers or, like, you know, the government institutions and stuff. So... And those people are easily manipulated and easily easy to lie to. I mean, look at what how Trump won. Yeah. He sold this big lie about shaking up the swamp in yeah. Washington, D.C. And it's like people believe them because yeah. poor people and- with poor education are easy to lie to.
1: Yeah. And it's also not a surprise that then uh the one thing these people do want to hold on to is nationalism or like identity and that the party that like so the some of the the democrats or the democratic socialists that are in charge like you know it to them like i can imagine why it looks like well we should put the conservatives back in power because at least they weren't going to like compromise on our name and on our identity because that's the one thing they have at the end of the day you know it's like if you also take away Being Macedonian, what do I have left? Like, you know.
0: (laughs) What's the W.E.B. Du Bois thing about the wages of whiteness? It's like this idea that.
1: um, W.E.B. Du Bois, I don't. Do you know? He's like a black American uh, thinker from like the
0: 1900s? Early 20th century, yeah. yeah. But the wages of whiteness was his idea that like being white in America, maybe you're still poor, but psychologically, you're white, so you know you're better than these other people. And I think nationalism works in the same way, you know? Yeah. So for Trump... It's
1: like this little thing you can hold on to. Like, you're not actually, obviously, better, but... It's this little thing you can hold on to to make yourself feel like, okay, well, I may be poor. Every day, society slaps me in the face, but at least I'm a white person, so I'm better yeah. than these poor black people.
3: Or at and least I'm an like, American.
1: At least I'm American, and in this case, at least I'm Macedonian. At least I have this heritage that you know means something to me that I can hold on to. You know? Yeah,
3: yeah, I, I get that. I mean, that's completely, you know. Yeah you can apply it here as well, it's like, you know, and it's, um, each national state here, like, you know, they're they're better than the other one.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course.
3: And, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really sad because, you know, at the end of the day, you're sitting with, like, you know, people from Croatia, people from Bulgaria, and you're talking about things. And then you realize, oh, my God, like, you know, we're basically identical, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, you talk to the average nationalist from the countries and then they will find you a hundred reasons why they're better than the rest <laughs> of the... Yeah. Which are completely yeah. fake, you know. But
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I hate the Macedonian flag.
0: It's so nationalist, just in its look. It's so grand.
1: Well, they had to change it. They had to change it because it was too close to the Greek Macedonian flag, right? Because it used yeah. to be a
3: sun. Um, yeah, it was Vergina uh, star. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: It's like you know that um, that was the symbol of Alexander or like you know his family, whatever. Yeah. And the Greek uh, uh, Macedonian state also uses the same symbol. So Macedonia changed it into this sun on the
1: red. Yeah, but it looks very, it does look very nationalist now. It's very like.
0: Yeah, bold. when we went to Okreid, we came, it was right after the like riots in parliament, and we came across a Vamro rally. Wave in the face. I like
3: their state, uh, their flag better than the one in yeah. Serbia or uh. Montenegro or uh, Albania because they're like obsessed with these like two-headed eagles. Oh yeah, I
1: know. And
3: I'm like, you <laughs> know, let's just not end up with like you know, another two-headed eagle or two-headed lion or whatever yeah. because those mutant animals, <laughs> I just don't like them in flags. They look scary.
1: They do look scary. Wrap it up there for this episode. So that was our episode with Georgia about Macedonian politics as of late. Wanted to obviously thank Georgia once again for spending so much time talking to us. We actually spent like three hours talking to him. And we also talked about um, some of the issues with the Albanian minorities in Macedonia, uh, which we'll release probably as a bonus ep um, maybe later this week. This one took a long time to get out because we had to really... I'm not going to get into it, but a lot of work went into getting the sound quality up to where it is because we had some issues recording. So uh, it's possible that that bonus app won't sound quite as good as this. It'll still be totally listenable, but it just it won't be quite as easy to listen to as this, I guess. Uh, but you should still check it out. We'll talk about Albanian politics and we also talk about All About Eve, which is a TV show. I think it's on BBC or BBC America that we all watched and really enjoyed uh it's about a female assassin and we i think had some good analysis of it about sort of why tv shows about assassins are popular lately and what they represent to us in a capitalist society so i hope you'll check that out just wanted to also let you guys know that the name agreement between greece and macedonia was signed on sunday at lake prispa there's still some work that needs to be done on both sides to fully ratify the agreement um, but so far, it looks like everything is pretty much smooth sailing, except that the Macedonian president, whose role is a lot different than um, an American president, to be clear, he is refusing to sign basically a constitutional amendment that would amend Macedonia's name to now be the Republic of Northern Macedonia. In Macedonia, if the parliament passes an amendment. It goes to the president. He needs to sign it. He can veto it once. It gets sent back to the parliament. They are supposed to take into consideration any amendments or basically like issues he brings up with it, debate them, and then vote again. Um, and if they that happens and they vote again to pass it, it will go back up to the president. And then he's supposed to just sign it regardless of what he thinks but that's already an issue that's for the first time ever come up once this year with regards to the languages law in albania uh where he refused to sign it the second time and it's kind of a big constitutional question about whether he can actually do that uh so if he refuses to do that here i guess it'll be an even bigger question that will need to get resolved. Uh, So yeah, potentially this could trigger a constitutional crisis, but you know, that's just another day in the Balkans, I guess. So yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this episode and learning a little bit about modern and I guess old Macedonian politics. Um, I know when Adam and I listen to podcasts and learn about countries we know nothing about or know very little about like Taiwan or something, we get really into it. So we're kind of hoping you guys have that experience a little bit with my little country and yeah thanks so much for listening follow us on twitter at cold pizza party adam's at bone camaro you can find us on soundcloud facebook all at cold pizza party and um like us review us whatever. Thanks to all of you who have started tweeting at me more and folks have reached out on Facebook and said that they like the show. We really appreciate that you guys are listening. It really does mean a lot to us to know that this is a fun little project that we make in our house that other people actually care about. So that's really cool. So thanks again. And uh, we're going to ride out to a song by a Macedonian band. Uh, They're called Bernays Propaganda. Adam found them I don't know, like a couple years ago and he really likes them. I think it's really cool to find new um, stuff that younger Macedonian people are putting out and hope you guys enjoy it. We love you. Drive safe. Have a good day. Take care of yourselves, guys. Bye.